Welcome to The Great Noticing Podcast with Marianne and Emily. The Great Noticing is about our awakening as people, professionals, parents, and leaders. Noticing empowers us to unravel the old narratives that dominated and defined us. Noticing supports new patterns and celebrates behaviors that help us create and step into the life we desire. What What are are you you noticing lately? Hey, noticers. Welcome back. In our second episode of The Great Noticing, Emily and I discuss the role that conflict currently plays in our professional and personal lives and try out noticing whether our approaches are still serving us. While you're listening to episode two, we hope you pause to think about how you tend to handle conflict, reflect on other possibilities, or give yourself a pat on the back for how you're choosing to tackle difficult situations, and give yourself the space to non-judgmentally ask, is this the way I want to continue operating? Noticing is at the heart of choice. Oh, and don't forget to have grace for the versions of yourself that handled conflict in a way that was likely learned in your childhood, and it kept you safe at that time in your life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Great Great Noticing. Noticing. (laughs) That's our first simultaneous one. Yay! I'm Marianne Means Dufresne. I am founder and CEO of Collective Growth, a leadership development and culture advising consultancy in Fort Worth, Texas. I am Emily McAnally. I am a VP at a tech startup, and I am also Marianne's sister. Yes, we're excited to be with you today, and we're talking today about conflict and the power that learning to handle conflict in a healthy way can have in our lives. And one of the things that I've been noticing with myself, with my clients, is how often our way of handling conflict in the workplace is reflective of how we handled conflict or how we were taught to handle conflict growing up. Mm. And in our family, we love our family, but in our family, it was a agree with your parents. That's Mm -hmm. the biblical thing. That's what God tells you to do is to go along with it and have a good attitude about it and be sweet. Yeah. I think one thing that was interesting for me about how we were raised was, and maybe some folks, you know, some of the listeners can identify with this, was that, you know, the concept of the head of the household as the father was almost like something that was given to him from God. Yeah. So it was almost like disagreeing with your father, even having a different opinion Mm -hmm. than your father was like going against God. Yeah. And they never said that. That sounds really dramatic. Right. But that's what you internalize as a child. Yes. Because these big, big stories that you're told and that you're living and and maybe some of this is our family too, but everything serious everything right. has a gravity to it right like and it was very serious yes yeah. and so the these things that we're learning as children are really important now other people may have learned that similar things through different methods maybe we had a violent parent maybe we had a parent who had mood swings or mental health issues and they internalized mm-hmm. the same types of things around the seriousness of it yeah. and our need to cope was to be perfect so well how this, to get through it was yeah. handling everything perfectly and never appearing to have our feathers ruffled so to speak yeah you know basically my whole instagram feed now is like parenting tips and like trauma recovery and adhd <laughs> recovery yes uh, just so everyone knows i have raging adhd you'll probably figure that out you probably would have figured that out uh, had i not just told you but one of the things that 
children who learn to people please mm-hmm. do is we become we kind of turn into empaths. Yeah. And we like we're able Not to kinda. Yeah. <laughs> like we are the empaths. Right. We like you just by the type of footwear that someone's wearing, the person mm-hmm. that you have to kind of keep happy in order to be safe. And I don't mean safe and like a physical way. I just well, tell that story of the rolling suitcase. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're going deep. We're folks. going deep. So when we moved to Fort Worth, we left a small town called Corsicana, Texas. Y'all have probably heard of it from... Shout out, Tigers. Yeah. The Cheer Show that came oh, out yeah, on, yeah. on Netflix. Yeah, it was at huge. Navarra College. We didn't even know that that was a thing at Navarra. But, well, if you're from there, you call it Navarra College, not Navarro. But I'm sure it's actually supposed to be pronounced Navarro. Navarro, I think, is... I mean, that's how people from there say it. Navarra. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So that's where we grew up. And um, when we moved to Fort Worth, I left like my grandmother and a nanny who took care of me after school. And I kind of had this like little support system. Um, and when we moved, I was in first grade and I would come home from school every day. Yeah. I know I was sweet. little. it was a very I don't know what I was like. You'll have to remind me. But the episode three, yeah. <laughs> what Emily was like as a child. <laughs> I would come home from school on the bus and I would be by myself until you got home or my parents got home, which is school. Yeah. Which was usually late, like seven, uh, probably five 30 or six. Okay. Let's say seven. It sounds more dramatic. Okay. Yeah. Uh, seven or eight o'clock at night. Midnight. And I still to this day could watch TV for like eight hours on end. I just, I love it so much. I could just like get into this like safety zone. It's mm-hmm. like a little cocoon. And like scrolling. Yeah. There was like a downstairs guest bedroom, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a TV in there and I would watch TV and eat like snacks. Like Dunkaroos. Oh, yeah. Fruit by the foot. Right. Lots of healthy stuff. <laughs> um, never. I've never had a root canal in my life. That's a lie. I have. And I would just sit there and eat snacks and watch TV. And in our household, like being productive mm-hmm. was... Uh, I mean, like if you like downtime, just resting, just kind of chilling, maybe reading a book, maybe like playing a little game. That just was not a thing. You had to always be doing something productive. Get out your to do list. Yeah. Index card. Right. (laughs) And there was uh, the threshold of the back door was there where, you know, you'd enter after you'd parked in the driveway was like that metal. Mm -hmm. And one of my parents had a rolling briefcase. And every time this parent would enter the home, I would hear the rolling briefcase against like the like, like yeah. And I would go into oh, 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 like, oh, my God. And I'd like grab all my snacks and like throw them away. And I would bolt upstairs and like pretend to be doing my homework or something productive mm-hmm. because I would get in trouble. Heart racing. Yes. Oh, God. I mean, like talk about like. We'll get into parts work at some point, I'm sure. Yeah. But like there was a part of me and this, you know, this is we're talking about my inner child. Mm-hmm. Like if I but that sound was. Oh, you I mean, you better react. get it together, get it together. Yeah. Which is a fight or flight response. Right. So if we imagine if we use this situation as a metaphor, the person rolling the suitcase or even the suitcase itself, if mm-hmm. we get Pavlovian triggers <laughs> this fight or flight response. And so the way of handling conflict that was shaped in childhood was immediately start performing. Right. So push away oh. the stuff that seems natural, push away the gut instinct, push away personal needs and do what is necessary to make the situation work. Mm-hmm. Now, in so many ways, that's a really functional way 
to approach life and to approach situations. And that's kind of in my approach where it's just be practical. Mm -hmm. How much is fighting the situation or is saying my truth going to make a difference? Mm -hmm. I can handle this. I can subjugate my needs. I can logically say I can push back enough that it will make this work and that everybody will benefit from this. But in doing that, I'm completely neglecting myself, Mm -hmm. my needs. And that works for a long time until you just become so deadened to it that you either are completely cut off from yourself, you break down, or you get so angry that you explode. Yeah. Oh, this is so what you just said about my performative tendencies and how this is back to your original point about how this isn't necessarily a conflict example. This Mm -hmm. is a survival example. But it is a conflict example. Well, no, what I'm about to say. Okay, sorry. That's okay. Yeah. See, look at us handling healthy, healthy conflict Mm -hmm. in real time. That I learned that in order to stay safe Mm -hmm. and be approved of, I had to perform. Right. So when I first joined the startup, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I was everybody's like cheerleader. I would show up on calls with like hair done, makeup done. Not that I think there's anything wrong with that. that. No, I love that. I still do that. I created this persona Mm. and on every single call, I was like given every, I was just pumping everybody up. And I really did become this like sparkly, shiny object. Yeah. Yeah. And I, because I, we talked about imposter syndrome a little bit last session or last pod and (laughs) the pod. pod. Isn't that fun to say? (laughs) I would show up on all these calls because I felt like I didn't really deserve to be there Mm -hmm. from an experience or intellectual perspective. Maybe not so much intellectual. I've always been confident in my innate smart what you offer right yeah but experience wise i felt like i didn't deserve right to be there and so, most of us do when we're starting something new there's right. a whole process of building up our confidence in that area right yeah but i felt like what i did have to give was an innate like a natural way of being that was what's the word effort not effervescent maybe there's some effervescence but there's support so yeah. and is that there's nothing wrong with how you approached it because you shifted the experience of the team yeah and so th- i think most of us do what i think you were starting to walk a little bit toward which is judging a previous way of being mm. that worked for us that it stopped working and so you shifted but it did work at that time it provided a benefit for you and others thank you i ap- i appreciate you saying that i think it makes me The reason I might be coming at it from a little bit of judgment Mm -hmm. is coming from almost a place of strength, Mm -hmm. which is like, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, I'm a powerhouse. I have a lot to bring to the table. So you don't have to fall back on that. I don't have to fall back on that. If I want to come to a call and be cheery, excited and like making jokes Mm -hmm. and like, you know, pumping everybody up. I can do that, Mm -hmm. but it is not a must because I can't do anything else. That's right. And what you're bringing up and makes this conversation about noticing so profound is the noticing around it and the ability to be non-judgmental with yourself is what gives us choice mm-hmm. when we are noticing these things. So when we're stepping out of being in it to being able to observe it and not that we're not participating in our lives, we're still in it, but it gives us the space to say, is this the way I want to continue being? Right. And I'm going to I'm going to select and pull out the things that are working really well and what I really enjoy about this. And I'm going to learn from the stuff that isn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. And 
that is the heart of choice. And that's what noticing does for us. Yeah. How many times have we told that story to each other about the rolling briefcase? That was like, it's like, so. No, how many times have I told a therapist that story? (laughs) It's it's a very expensive story. (laughs) Very. Yet, the, the more that we're able to talk about those things, the more they free us, the more having a safe space to discuss it. And then to say, just as we're doing today, that so I can trace that way of yes. handling conflict, yes. of dancing around it, of making everything yeah. okay. Doing jazz hands. Yeah. Those yeah. <laughs> that, that has followed me throughout my life. So in different roles in my career, the and, and I as a, as a facilitator of people handling groups mm-hmm. and working people through group conflict, I still do this. Mm. It, it is a mechanism to help people handle a tense situation. Yeah. But it's still the same thing. Bring some levity to it. Right. So if I'm facilitating a group and we've got, I've got 40 people in the room and 20 of them are all about it and ready to participate in this conversation. And I've got a few that are not interested. How the best way, and this is a facilitation technique, keep going as if, get the people in the room really engaged and enthused that are a part of it, and they will bring the other people along. Mm -hmm. So in that aspect, part of what we're doing is good. Our way of coping has worked, but it's not the full picture. Right. So I know that in that situation, that would work. It might be that in addition to that, I might approach one of the folks that are disengaged after. Yeah. And say, hey, what was this like for you? Right. And engage that person at a different level instead of pretending it didn't happen. Yeah. I love that. Like there are multiple ways. First, what I think I hear you saying is release judgment Mm -hmm. of that performative side of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Understand that it can be utilitarian. Yeah. It can really work. It It can can work. But also understand that as we continue to evolve and as we continue to kind of love on ourselves and grow that we can have we have other tools in our toolbox that's right it doesn't just have to be the cheerleader yeah all the time that's right and, yeah. and every situation is deeper yeah because maybe our maturity level or where we were in life we couldn't handle all the nuances of a certain situation right so i couldn't handle the complexity of it i needed to get through it mm-hmm. and get through it with enthusiasm and mm-hmm. looking like i was having fun yeah right but now that i am a decade beyond that maybe i can say I can do that in the moment or I can be more subtle. I can slow something down. I can address what's happening in the meeting directly in a softer way. So we we're to your point, adding to our toolkit Mm -hmm. and giving ourselves the courage and the space to say, I'm going to try some new things because I'm not one dimensional. Yeah, I have noticed these things and now I can layer in other techniques other ways of being that are a better or a more full expression Mm -hmm. of us as humans of me as a human and what can really help the situation that might have conflict in it come to a better resolution so can you give us an example especially in your work Mm -hmm. of how you were able to assess an unhealthy conflict scenario within an organization. Mm-hmm. And if you gave any sort of on top of your analysis, like solutions, mm-hmm. and then how if you were able to witness those individuals applying said solutions yeah. and kind of what the outcome was. Sure. So I worked with an organization that was in the healthcare space and they had a lot of conflict. They had a very united team of people, so colleagues across the country 
who were at odds with the C-suite, mm-hmm. with the top leadership mm-hmm. team. And I, I did an assessment for this group and, and did informational interviews and really learned a lot about the root of their conflicts. And these were one-on-one. So you feel like people were able to be yes. just like totally honest. honest. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of it, there were personality conflicts and difficulties with the particular leader of the organization to relate to his team. Um, and so these were going to be some ongoing conflicts. And so one of the the approaches that I took was how to support the team who really believed in their work mm-hmm. in handling some of the idiosyncrasies, maybe, yeah. of their leader. And how many of us have that in the right. workplace, right? We work for somebody brilliant, somebody who really means well, and they're just breakdowns and what they're able to provide right. the organization and provide us individually. And that isn't that life too. Right. Right. We're all really have good intentions. Right. We're amazing in some ways and we fall short in others. And so one of the things that we did as a group exercise with the the C-suite and the group of leaders of about 30 people uh, was an exercise that I call what's also true. And so Mm -hmm. we had the perspectives of the team written out around how they saw their daily work and the things that they were struggling with. And then we went for each of those team, what is also true, and had the team think through what another group, namely their C-suite, might also think of this perspective. And it really broadened everybody's insight around that we perceive we're always right. Mm. So I would say that's one of the first things in conflict is there's something that is also true. Yeah. So I'm approaching the situation as though I'm right. And we all do that. We dig in our heels. Yep. And we're triggered in our bodies and we say, I'm right. Well, there's something that could be opposite of what I think that also from a perspective is valid. How do we sort through that? That's going to be a negotiation. But my tunnel vision around my anger and being right and the resentfulness I might have Mm -hmm. towards somebody or something can be dissipated by taking a breath, centering and saying, Here's another perspective I haven't considered. So we're applying curiosity there to say what else is also true. Did that exercise fix everything? No, but it took some of the heat out of the day-to-day conversations. That's right. We developed some empathy for, did it make everything go away? Did it solve everything? Did it make better decisions? Yes and no, because people were able to say from the perspective of my leader, here's what's happening how can I mitigate that in some way and to develop a little more understanding for the other side who mm-hmm. did change some of the tenor? Yeah. So when you're in a situation where you're an individual or maybe you're a team mm-hmm. and there's something that is organizational, maybe it's the other personnel on other teams, maybe yeah. the, the work, maybe the, the processes are mm-hmm. breaking down. Mm-hmm. How do you, as a team or even as an individual, is there just a point at which you can go to, and I know it obviously depends on the circumstance, Yeah. Um, go to your leadership, go to your C-suite and say, have in your mind an openness to mm-hmm. say, this is how I'm seeing the problem. Mm-hmm. Can you please help me understand it from your perspective? Yeah. Is that something that you recommend doing where you kind of present it as this is how this presents to me? Yeah as a problem in this mm-hmm. circumstance. There was one time that we had yeah. a conversation. Here's the ADHD coming in, but I promise it's all going to loop together. Oh, it's all going to build. So I remember one time I was I was expressing frustration to you about something. 
and it being a problem, like mm-hmm. a, like a real, like a constant. And I'm kind of like justice based. Yes. So I was like, this is just wrong. This mm-hmm. is not how it should be run. This is clearly there are some ineptitudes like this is clearly a problem mm-hmm. all the time, all the time. And you said, I think he just has a different timeline. Mm. Like and he has a different understanding of things are going to break. Yeah. And things aren't going to be perfect, like mm-hmm. a completely different perspective. Yeah. And that was so powerful for me. And it helped me kind of take a step back and like, yeah, center myself and take a breath and go, OK, mm-hmm. well, if he doesn't think that this is a big deal. Yeah. Because he has a completely it's almost like, you know, we're going to be using a lot of metaphors mm-hmm. on this show. <laughs> it's like when you're playing like chess versus checkers. Yeah. Right. If mm-hmm. I'm playing checkers mm-hmm. and I'm like, well. Then two different games. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I remember you telling me that and it was so freeing because it was like, okay, well, if this isn't that big of a deal to him, it Mm -hmm. shouldn't be a big deal to me. Well, it maybe it doesn't need and that's language. Maybe it doesn't have to be as big of a a deal to you. But that that comes back to how. So as a person who's prone to judgment and I am, too, it can be a real strength. Am I the person who's judged prone to judgment? Yes. Okay. But also (laughs) I am as well. And that's such a strength. And many of us listening probably are, too, that we notice problems quickly. Yeah. Um, We see when things are out of balance. And that is such a huge strength and such a support to organizations and to relationships. And it also gets really tiring to be around the person like us who finds fault easily. I don't want to be never be satisfied. Like something always has to be wrong. It's like critical to our way of being like, can you just enjoy your life? I say this to myself all the time. Could you just stop? Enjoy. You're in the mountains. Stop. Enjoy your life. Why do you you have to be anxious? But this sense of I'm always in a battle. Yeah. And I think that's what we talk about is like, oh, my God, you're in a battle again today. Yeah. And from your leader's perspective, he's taking the long view. This is a leadership stance. And I have clients like this, that they're looking at a 10-year view that is going to be the whole time fraught with a lot of conflict for their team because there's not specificity about how the work will be done. There's a big vision. But to that leader, they're only in the high points and they're only hitting these really big milestones Mm. not concerned about how the work is getting done day to day as long as we're hitting those big milestones that are not concerned with this stuff happening here yeah that's why the mid management team is so important because they're responsible for building out the how of day to day and helping to reduce the workplace friction Mm -hmm. like we've talked about before Mm -hmm. and so you're so invested in the workplace friction Mm -hmm. because you want that to be solved. And we all do. Can it be solved? Not sure. So what do we do with that? Right. And that brings up external versus internal conflict, right? Are we allowing ourselves because of our own judgment of the space to be in and exist in constant conflict? Yeah. I wonder, too, if I've always thought wondered this about myself, and this might be an ADHD thing. I don't know why we're talking about that so much, but it's kind of like how ADHD years will have like hobbies. Mm-hmm. They'll get really into it yeah. for like a month mm-hmm. and then they abandon it. Yeah. We tend to do that. I've had some friends come mm-hmm. to me and say, hey, when you're in, you're in. And when you're not, mm-hmm. I feel like you've abandoned me. It's like when your light is shining on somebody, it's mm-hmm. so much fun. But mm-hmm. then it, you really mm-hmm. feel that lack of warmth when you're not present. Yeah. And I think I I tend to do that. Like, I, I know I did this at the startup where 
I was like so excited and like mm-hmm. guns blazing. And then you kind of, it's almost like I got disillusioned. Yeah. You know? Of course. I know, but it's like, well, I don't want to be cancerous. Well, it's part of a person who has a lot of enthusiasm. And so again, it's just like this judgmentalism has its downside. Every strength has its shadow. So being a person with a lot of enthusiasm, you love the feeling that it gives you of engaging in something new and problem solving and we dive in and then it's just very natural that it wanes or we get disillusioned by different things happening. And so the so important for us is to learn to manage our energy levels. Yeah. And that is so hard for me. Like, yes. And yeah. the, and, and that's, that's something a I've been coached like on. Like a protection thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. how do those of us and I I posted about this with collective growth the other day people who are prone to burnout. A lot of clients come to me, whether they realize it or not, in burnout. Mm -hmm. And one of the symptoms of burnout is really not knowing what to do next or how to recover energy or feeling like I'm just at a complete loss Mm -hmm. around a certain situation, just like you were mentioning. And that very often is a sign of burnout. We've fallen out of a place where we're able to resource ourselves Mm -hmm. and the rest and time and attention that it takes to recover from that is pretty significant. So after we've been through a cycle of burnout and recovered, Mm. we can be that much more in tune with the signs and the symptoms of moving into that place, which is burning the candle at both ends, constantly thinking about work. Yeah. This energetic dreams about it. I'm becoming solely focused on work and I'm neglecting other parts of my life. Mm -hmm. For me, I notice I stop having fun in my regular life and my personal life because my all of my brain energy and power and enthusiasm is being spent on this other thing that my joy diminishes like my joy temperature goes yeah so i start to notice these things and take the steps i need to to regain more balance so that i don't go into burnout again because the more burnout cycles we go through the more severe they get Mm. and the harder it is to recover so to notice these things in our 30s 40s is so powerful to live more energetically balanced lives. Which I feel like there are so many avenues. I'm so excited that we're doing this. And I really hope that this, the pod, is the pod is helpful for not only women, but of course men as well, who are navigating their lives and starting to come to this place of awareness not to say that we're all just kind of floating through space and aren't you know cognizant of the choices that we're making and how that might be a part of a cycle yeah we're performing though it was like trying to build a career build a family it's all in this on posting everything about it on instagram get it done (laughs) yeah yeah and that we're now in a place through noticing we can get it done yeah with more ease and let it be easy is my theme. Let things happen. Let things be joyful. Do the work, but with an energy of ease. Yeah. So that more magic can happen. I can invite more collaboration. Yeah. And through enjoying my work and my life more, I'm more creative. Okay. I want to tap into something on what you said about ease. And I wonder if there are other people out there who identify with this as well. I feel like the way that we were raised Mm -hmm. was everything had to be hard Mm -hmm. or it wasn't Mm -hmm. valid. That's right. And that's I'm noticing that I think that that's something that I do in my life. Absolutely. Make it harder than it has to be. I make everything as hard as it possibly can be Mm -hmm. because then it makes me feel valid. Right. If I were 
just, you know, working remotely and like loving my life and having like a chill existence and working when I wanted to work and working yeah. out when I wanted, like, then that would be too easy. Right. And then it's not valid. Mm-hmm. And then I don't deserve it. Yeah. So how can I, how can we adopt more of a let it be easy? And that's a beautiful thing. That's not a bad thing. No, we it's want, wonderful. Like, why would we want gifts. things to be e- yes. easy? Yes. Of course, we want them to be easy. Frankly, I'm really proud of us. I'm proud of us for identifying these things. And I'm trying to show, as I speak to you more, I'm trying to show more compassion mm-hmm. for the the ways, the people I've been. Yeah. The e- women that you've the, been. We, the women that I've been. Which reminds us of that poem by Emery Hall. If anybody hasn't seen her work, um, she's got an Instagram channel, I guess, as you call it. And she's posting her poetry and it's really amazing. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. We'll have to connect that to the, the website. But yeah. I think that this is a really beautiful place to be where you're noticing cycles, good or mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. You're showing compassion for the choices that you made at that time. We are all just trying to get our needs met. Yeah. And if we were making toxic decisions Mm -hmm. have compassion for where we were at that time that's right and moving forward in a way where we can continue this pattern of noticing Mm -hmm. where noticing the good noticing the bad or maybe they're not that binary maybe there's some gray area Mm -hmm. um and continue to kind of unravel some of the reasons why we were making those decisions to begin with. That's right. And it served a purpose. It served a purpose. Right. Yep. I mean, being performative, like we've said, mm-hmm. has served a purpose for both of us. Yeah. So I know we've talked about sort of unhealthy mm-hmm. examples of conflict mm-hmm. for the next pod. I don't think I can ever stop doing that now. I don't like, think I think that should. has to be a thing. I love it. I think we could still dive into more unhealthy examples, well, but for the next, do you want to talk about healthy ones? Yeah, or? I think we always will have plenty of unhealthy conflict examples. <laughs> but so we kind of we sorted through today how our way of approaching conflict most likely stems from what we were taught and how to right. approach conflict in childhood, and maybe we've turned that on its head. So, it's, mm-hmm. but it's still related to because we've had noticing around it. So maybe um, next time we talk about how we can notice it, how we can shift in it. And the power that the shifting could have in changing our relationships, both personally and professionally. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, we'll see you next time, everybody, to talk about healthy conflict and how sometimes changing our approach can make a world of difference. See you soon. Bye, y'all. Thanks. Thanks.